I want to ask you a question um, as we start today. Has God ever asked you to do something that was hard? So I want you to think about that. Because I'm not asking, has God ever walked with you through a difficult season of life? Because I think that all of us could say, yeah, I've, I've had seasons of life that were difficult, things that happened in life that I didn't want, things that were situational or circumstantial that I, I hoped wouldn't happen. And it was hard, and it was hard on me, and it was hard on others, and, and I saw God in that moment. That's one question, but the question I'm asking is a little bit different. Has God ever asked you to do something that was hard? I'll ask the same question in kind of a maybe different tone. Has God ever asked you to do something that was inconvenient? Has God ever asked you to do something that was different, out of the ordinary? And the reason I say that is we're going to look today at Philippians chapter 3, the first part of it. And we see a glimpse in Philippians chapter 3 of Paul's journey and his attitude toward that journey. And the invitation that Paul received on the road to Damascus when Jesus met him was different but similar to the invitation that the disciples all received. And it was this invitation. It was follow me. It wasn't trust me. It wasn't believe me. It wasn't listen to me. It was follow me. And at that point, they had a decision to make. Whether I'm actually going to follow Jesus. And following him literally in that time meant to leave behind the things that they had at the moment. To take up and to follow Jesus. And I say that. Has God ever asked you to do something that was hard? Because that's hard. It's hard. And I, I feel the need to say that today because I believe that for many people I have encountered over the 35 plus years in, in ministry that God has given me, I, I fear that sometimes we have settled into a faith that looks nothing like what God has invited us to when he says those words to follow me. I feel like that there have been people who I have run into who are similar, if you will, to a man who Jesus encountered who we know was a rich young ruler at the time. And he gave the same invitation to this man as he gave to many others, which was follow me. But what happened in that interaction was the man came to Jesus and said, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you follow all the commandments. And the man said, well, I've done that. What else is there that I need to do? And Jesus looked at the man. He goes, there's only one thing you're missing. Sell everything you have and come and follow me. And it says at that moment that the man went away sad. And we know that he was sad because he didn't accept that invitation to follow Jesus because it wasn't what he thought it would be. You see, I fear that at times in an attempt to be compassionate, sometimes maybe myself or maybe others in the church have not presented the fullness of life that can be found in truly following Jesus. 
and, and, and not just believing in him and not just learning about him and, and not just making him a part of my life, but actually making him my life. Because the fullness of life is going to be found as we follow Jesus. And today we get a glimpse of Paul's journey and his attitude toward that. And we've been talking about what it means to be the church. And we've used the book of Philippians as a guide to us. We've looked at things like to be the church, I'm going to pray for my partners. And and the reason I use the word partners is because Paul talked about the people in Philippi as partners in ministry. And so they were in this church together. They were doing life together. And so we're going to pray for our partners. And I've, I've, I've been amused or found it kind of interesting at times that as I've been doing these model connect groups or talking with people about um, what God's doing in our church and where we can go, and I've, I continue to run across people who go, oh, I don't know that person. And they introduce themselves to the person and they go, I've been a member here for 29 years. Well, I've been a member here for 47 years. Oh, I didn't know you. It's like, okay, I understand we're not going to know everybody. I get that. But if we're going to truly pray for our partners in ministry, then we're going to get out beyond ourselves and we're going to introduce ourselves. We're going to, you know, mingle around a little bit. We're at least going to do that. And so we want to pray for our partners. The, the church is going to advance the gospel if we're going to be the church. This is what it was all about. It's all about taking the gospel of hope, the message of Jesus Christ, and sharing that with as many people as possible. That's what the church is to be about. It's about advancing the gospel. It's about doing whatever it takes so that the gospel message can be heard and known and hopefully accepted and followed by as many people as possible. That's why the church exists, period. That's what it's about. And so if we're going to be the church, then we're going to be about advancing the gospel. We talked about being present. We talked about if we're going to be the church, we're going to be present. And building those type of relationships in people's lives where they know that you can count on them and they can count on you. And it goes beyond sometimes the walls of the church or, or things like that. It's doing life together. We looked last week as, as, at the end of Philippians chapter 2 where Paul was talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. These were men that were present in his life. They had joined him on the gospel journey. They had proven their character by walking through life with Paul. They were there in his life. Those type of relationships. I fear that the way that we have presented faith sometimes or a a following of Jesus has been such in a model where we're trying to be convenient, where we have missed this opportunity to build life together. And so we miss these opportunities to walk on mission with one another because it might not fit in my schedule or my routine or my way that I, I think I, I'm supposed to do things. And, and we've, we've kind of perpetuated that at times. If we're going to be present in people's lives, it's life together. And we talked about living in unity. Unity meaning that we're commonly connected through the work that Jesus Christ has called us to because he's certainly created us with different giftedness and, and different things that are meaningful to us, different tastes, different expectations, different preferences. Some of you, the best thing we've ever done in the church was the first song we did today, okay? And for those, I even wore my boots for that one, everybody. I just want you to know that today. 
You know, and, and so it, it's just different sometimes bringing people together in that. But we're going to live in unity on, on mission with Christ. And so if you haven't been able to be with us or if you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, that's fine. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, but I'm going to just catch you up with where we are today. And again, I'm going to center around that question. Has God ever asked you to do something that was hard? Because I believe that's where we'll find the fullness of life is when we're willing to take that invitation and say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to accept you. Here's what's happened so far in this book. Paul writes to the church in Philippi and he lets them know he's thankful for their work. He had gone there on mission. He had started a church there. The, the work was doing great. And he tells them how thankful he is. He goes on to say that what you've been doing and what, what's happened even in my life has worked to advance the gospel. And so I'm not really worried about the, the trials and the tribulations and the hardships that I'm facing because the gospel is advancing. He even goes on to specifically talk about enemies, and he says the actions of my enemies are actually irrelevant to the cause of Christ. It really doesn't matter what they're doing because we're so focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he tells them that he wants to live worthy of the gospel, and so he wants for them to live worthy of the gospel as well. And then he starts describing what that could look like, and he talks about things like putting others' needs first, that we should consider the needs of others first, and that in humility, that's how we should act toward one another. And then he actually even tells takes it to the next level and says, actually, you should have the attitude and the mind of Christ, who though he was God, humbled himself to the form of a man, not only humbling himself to the form of a man, but humbled himself to death and death on the cross so that you and I might have a relationship with God. That's true humility. That's what he's saying, that we should have that attitude. And he said, so let your good works and everything that you do not be for you and not be about you, but be for the glory of God. That's what he's talked to them about so far. And then last week we looked at these men named Timothy and Epaphroditus. And my son is glad I named him Timothy and not Epaphroditus. And so we looked at them as an example. Because Paul says, all these things that I've been talking to you about are exemplified in these two men. And he goes on and he talks about their character and their walk and these things so that we can actually see the church personified. And then today, we get to see Paul and a little bit of what is going on in his heart and in his mind, not just a person saying, do what I say, but do what I do. And so again, has God ever asked you to do anything that's hard? If you're not familiar with Paul's story, you're about to get a little picture of it. Here in Philippians chapter 3, he says this. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Paul's writing from jail, by the way. And he's telling them, man, let's rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me. and It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Now, you may not be able to follow that some, so I'll give you just a little glimpse. What's happening is Paul is around sharing the gospel of Christ and freedom in Christ and life by the Spirit of God. And there's a group that's going around going, no, there are traditions that we hold on to that you need to continue to do if you're going to follow them. One was circumcision. And so that's why he's now seeing this in a different light because of what Christ has done and he's speaking out against that. And then he goes on to give his pedigree, if you will. He says in verse 4, although I have reasons... For confidence in the flesh. If anyone 
thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. So Paul is saying all these things that they're talking about, nobody can do it as good as I can. But then he goes on to say this, but everything that was a gain to me, I consider to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Has God ever asked you to do anything that was hard? See, I, I fear that at times we accept a gospel of convenience. That God, as long as you fit into my life and, and do things that help me get my life going a little bit better, this is great and I'm all on board. But God, when you ask me to do things that are difficult or that are hard, then, then what happens within our heart? What Paul says is everything that he once considered of value in his life, the traditions he held to, the pedigree he had, the citizenship that he had, all those things are now nothing compared to the cause of Christ. And then he goes on even beyond that. He goes, as a matter of fact, everything in this life is nothing compared to the cause of Christ. Has God ever asked you to do anything that's hard? Because I believe this is where we're going to find life. You see, don't miss out on following Jesus when he invites you to take a next step. Oftentimes, I have found myself questioning God, wrestling with God, arguing with God. Well, God, I don't really know how that's going to work. I don't know if that's going to fit in. Well, God, I had my life planned. It was step one and then two, and then, then we were going to go over here and do this. And now, God, you're telling me to do this. I don't know that that really fits. I have had those conversations with God. So perhaps today's message is for me and me alone, and you get to listen to personal therapy. I don't know. But what I'm beginning to discover more and more and more and more in life is I want to be more like Paul that says all these things, all this stuff, all these traditions, all these models, all this personal preference, all this stuff, I want to just consider that nothing so that I just pursue you and you alone wherever you lead and whatever it is that you're doing. That's where I'm going to find life. And so most of the time, those who know me, 
know that I, I really do work hard to try to take things and go, okay, now what's the positive way that we can say this? And how do you take something and go, I know this is hard, but let's give some encouraging words and let's, let's do this here. But I really felt like today, so if you'll allow me this, I'm going to ask a question or I'm going to make a statement actually. And this statement is kind of a direct statement. I don't mean to just back off of that, but I think it really will show an example of our heart and give an example of what's going on in our culture and how Paul has learned to rise above the same things that were happening in his culture and how we can ask ourselves, well, am I still bothered by these things or can I move beyond this as well? So, so here's my statement for today. If you want to know if we're truly pursuing the things of God and, and it really I'm starting to leave the things of this world behind and I'm starting to consider all these things that I have as nothing, only the pursuit of Christ is what's important, then here's what we need to do. Stop living offended. Stop living offended. Stop walking around like everything offends you. This bothers me. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they said that. Oh my goodness. How can they do that? What's going on? That's the, you realize our culture is just one offense after another offense. And these people are offended by these people, so they attack these people. And these people are offended by these people. And if we're not careful, Christians will get caught up in that culture and we'll just be another group that's offended. But yet Paul has now twice <laughs> in this one book said, I don't really even care what my enemies are doing. The cause of Christ is what's important. God's going to take care of everything else. There's, there's a truth that somebody told me a long time ago that really has helped me. It's incredibly simple, but incredibly profound. When we run into this people, when we run into people in this life who don't know Jesus, we should expect them to act like people who don't know Jesus. And so when I look at the world now, I'm not trying to oversimplify things, but I see people making decisions that are far from what God wants, and I don't just walk around going, I go, well, those people don't know Jesus. And here's what happens. Instead of being offended, I'm broken. And I begin to ask the question, God, what can I do so that they might know you? Instead of just being offended and appalled by their actions, I'm broken and going, God, how can I get through to them? Let me consider everything that I have ever done worthless and willing to lay those things down so that one person might know you. Paul is also a person who wrote in another place of scripture, I have become all things to all people so that I might win some for Christ. Paul did not hold on to his traditions. Paul did not hold on to his background. Paul did not hold on to his history. Paul did not hold on to his things. Paul said, I consider all of these worthless. He was a little more harsh than that, but I'm not gonna repeat these words today. Consider them all as nothing so that the cause of Christ may be advanced. Do we have that in our heart? Has God ever asked us to do something hard? You see, living offended, I believe, is a demonstration that Jesus is still not enough in my life. <laughs> because when I get offended by things, that means, usually this, that means that I have an over-expectation of someone or an under-expectation of God. That's what it usually means for me. 
because now I'm offended by what they did. So that means I actually believe that they would do something more than what they're doing, or I actually believe that God can't handle this situation, so I'm just mad about it. And so I need to learn to just go, man, God, you, you've got this. I don't care what my enemies are doing. I don't care what my friends are doing. I just care that the cause of Christ is all we want here. And so Paul is truly living unoffended. He's in jail writing to people that we should rejoice, and this is awesome, and we should continue. And I consider all of these things that I had as worthless, for the, as worthless compared to the cause of Christ. Jesus actually said it this way in the book of Luke. I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, then do the same for them. You're going to get tired of me asking this. But has God ever asked you to do something that was hard? Love your enemies? Give away my stuff? Do, do for them what I wish was happening for me? Why can't they just do that for me? You see, again, my fear here is that we have bought in to a faith that is based on convenience. And yet God is challenging us to a faith that is based on him. And based on the life that can only happen when we let everything else go except him. And it is a challenge to me and it should be a challenge to you to go, how do I live that type of life? Jesus says for us to show love at all times. When we show love at all times, what does that mean? That means we stop a cycle that happens in, in, in our world of gossip and hurt and anger and slander. And we begin to demonstrate an incredible trust in Jesus saying, God, you're in charge of this mess. And my job is just to trust you in the midst of it. You know, another source of offense for me sometimes is improper self-evaluation. Sometimes I underplay how I've hurt others and overplay how they've hurt me. Now, again, this is just Lendl's therapy session, certainly not talking about any of us. But sometimes I have a tend to underplay, well, you know, I, I didn't mean that or that wasn't it or they can get over that or that's it. But then when somebody offends me, it's like, they just don't understand how much that hurt me and how much is going on. And I just look at this again and go, Paul's writing from jail. After being shipwrecked and persecuted and rocks thrown at him and left for dead and snake bit and everything else. And he's going, we need to have joy. And we need to consider everything a loss for Christ. This is the message of the gospel. He's saying Jesus alone is the source of salvation. Jesus alone. That's where he's come to. That's where he finds, and I'm going to say this word, contentment. He's content with Jesus alone. In Ephesians, he writes to that church and he says, you're saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourself. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. In Acts, we hear this, that there is salvation in no one else for there's no, under, no other name in heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It's Jesus alone. And Paul is saying, I had it all 
And I thought it was all very important. But as I have walked this journey of life and I have continued, and here's the truth about Paul. He's continued to say yes to the hard things that God has asked him to do. And he finds himself squarely in jail going, this is awesome. And I wish everybody had what I had. How do you have that type of life? Because the truth is, I think if we compare that to sometimes the view of Christianity that comes from culture at times, we would go, Paul's kind of messed up in the head. I mean, I would, I would even have some people at times who would, may even say, well, Paul, you, you couldn't possibly be doing the things that God wants you to do because look at the results of the things that are happening. They have a results-based faith that go, well, if it's not working out for your good and for their good, well, then God couldn't possibly be in it. Really? God's bigger than our circumstance. He's bigger than our results. He's bigger than the things that are going on around us. I had a conversation with someone this week who is a missionary that the reason that I'm sitting at a table with him, having a conversation with him about him being a believer in Christ is because 130 years ago, somebody went on mission to his country and began to share the word of Christ so that you fast forward through his family and then today he's a Christian in an area that there are very few Christians. And you go, that was hard, <laughs> but that was life. So what we want to do here is we want to pursue that type of life. And I want you to hear me today. I, I'm truly saying this from a heart that goes, I want you to have life. And what I'm seeing in scripture is this is where it is. And all these things that we are truly blessed with, and you heard the words come out of my mouth, as God giving us grace to live in the country that we live in and experience the things that we live in, can also be a great distraction from experiencing the fullness of God if we are not intentional about our pursuits. And so I fear that at times we worship convenience and we miss out on the opportunities that God wants for us when he asks us to do hard things and the life that can come from them. See, because they're not gonna come from our work. If I'm going to do these things, if I'm gonna serve, he also says it here, I'm gonna serve by the spirit of God. In Philippians, he says, chapter three, verse three, we're the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. He's saying we don't put confidence in the stuff that we do. We don't put confidence in the things that we've earned. We don't put confidence in who we are or where I was born or what's going on. It's all in Christ, and that's how we're going to serve. Peter writes to the church, and he says this in 1 Peter 4, 9, and 10. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to build yourself up. Okay, so y'all are asleep now or you're not reading along with me on the screen because y'all not seeing this. Peter says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. God has given us giftedness and the more that we use that giftedness for ourselves, the more that we lose life. But the more that we take this giftedness and we share and we live for others, the more that we gain life. That's why someone like Paul can say, I have found the source of contentment and it is in Christ alone. And you can tell by his words and his actions and his circumstances and his life that there is nothing more important in his life than Christ because his circumstances really don't look all that great. But his heart looks wonderful. You see, I, I will tell you this. So I, I love landscape photography. Some of you know I love to take pictures. And I love landscape photography because they don't move, okay? 
because taking pictures of things that move, I liked that for a little while, but it was always blurry. I never could get it right. So I like taking pictures of landscape things. And, and I, I see this happen all the time. Somebody will come and they'll see one of my pictures and they're very nice about, it. oh, that's just beautiful. How did you get that picture? And I said, well, you should come with me sometime. Oh, I'd love to come with you. Well, where did you take this picture? Well, I was on the side of a mountain in Alaska. It was 40 below and I had to stand there for two or three hours until this thing. They're like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, then you're never going to experience this. You're only going to see a picture of what somebody else experiences. That's a beautiful picture, Little. How'd you do that? Well, the two mile hike, carrying all my stuff over this little thing, it's 105 degrees, had to wait for the sun to go down, and then you have to be there just at the right time. I don't want to do that. Can I just buy your picture? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's a sweet compliment for me, but you're never going to experience it if you don't do the work. Has God ever asked you to do something that was hard? Or are we living our faith out through pictures of what other people are doing? God wants something for us that's greater than what we're having for ourselves at times. And our confidence, what Paul is saying, is not in ourselves. It's in Jesus. You see, my confidence is in Jesus, not myself. Paul goes on to say, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He's saying to all the people who are his enemies, I've done all that. I've seen all that. Been there. Got the shirt. I've, I've, I'm I'm good. But what I'm telling you is we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so all of those things I now consider meaningless for the cause of Christ. In Isaiah, he writes this way about our righteousness and good works. He says, all of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Basically just telling us we can add up all the good works that we want and try to impress God with them. And all it's going to add up to is like a polluted garment. It's not going to be anything like that. Because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have an invitation where God says, now come and follow me. Not just believe me. Not just make me a part of your life. But make me your life. Come follow me. So here's what we need to know. I must place my faith in Jesus if I want to have this type of life. Paul writes these words, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. We have to believe in him. We have to have faith that God is who he says he is. And then we take that invitation to follow him and I must then strive to know him. I pursue him. I make effort. I follow him. If, if I say, follow me, and I start walking, and you stand still, you're not going to get very far. And so though our faith is by grace of God, then he says, now come and live this life by following me. And that means then we have to strive to pursue him, to know him. And that's why Paul puts it this way, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. 
Can you just say it one more time? Has God ever asked you to do something hard? That doesn't sound very convenient. And I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm truly trying to challenge us to what I believe that many people miss out on simply because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Or they don't want to take a step of faith that says, God, I don't know how this can be done, but I know that you're calling me to it. So I'm going to consider everything that I have before as nothing, and I'm going to put my trust in you. And can I just say it this way? Sometimes we'd go, man, I want to be like Paul. Really? Want to be like Paul, huh? Well, let's look a little bit deeper into that. Do I really want to be like Paul? Well, no, 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 I'll just be like Peter. Really? Be like Peter? Look a little deeper in. You see, we have these examples of faith, and we hold them up. Look at me. You can do the same thing they did. Follow Jesus. That's our invitation. Follow Jesus. And wherever he's leading, consider all the things that you might think you know or you might think that you have as nothing, and just pursue him alone. And then if you do that, you'll find life. You will find life. That's the guarantee we see over and over and over in Scripture. Paul says in 3.11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. He's saying, I look at the example of Christ, I'm trying to follow Christ, and I know that he will give me life not only in this world, but he will give me life beyond this world. But here's what it takes. You have to follow him. Has Jesus ever asked you to do something that's hard? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?